0: That's a, a psalm when uh, commemorating when David uh, ate uh, sacred bread in the temple. His men were starving and he was provided. And that's why he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And it's an important thing for us to recognize that that, that God is with us and, and that all of our senses work to tell us who God is. God isn't just in, in the hearing of his word. God isn't just in the singing, but God's in, in smells and food and all of these things as well. So um, we are in uh, Esther 4 today, uh, which uh, I am excited about, if I can get it going. But um, so just to remind everybody where we're at in the story, um, last week Haman had his pride hurt and then came up with a plan to destroy all of the Jews because one person... Uh, disrespected him um, so this is, this is what we remember from last week so when Haman saw that Mordecai Esther's uncle would not kneel down or pay him honor he was enraged yet having learned who Mordecai's people were he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai instead Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people the Jews throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes little bit of overkill on Haman's part You wonder if he had a level-headed compatriot who was like, maybe we could just kill Mordecai. Even that might have been a little bit of an overstepping, but no, Haman is a completist. He likes to have all things done well. So, So this is where we start off today. So when Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly but he went only as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Now, what often happens at this point is is people, and, and especially as Christians, people who are looking for God to show up in this story, which he doesn't specifically. Let's, I've said this before, but I just want to remind everybody. In the book of Esther, God is not mentioned specifically at all. This is one of the places where the edges of that can be found. The, 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 in this sackcloth and wailing, there is this reaching out to God in prayer. And I, and I don't want to diminish that. I think that we see that in the story, but I think that in order to get the full flavor of the story, we also have to acknowledge that this is a story where God seems absent a good chunk of the time. And I think one of the things that helps us to empathize with that is that sometimes for us, God seems absent as well, or at least quiet, or at least not showing up in the ways that he does often other times in the Bible. There is no burning bush in Esther. There is no pillar of cloud in Esther. There, is no, there are no great grand miracles in the book of Esther. And I think that we live lives often where there are no burning bushes or pillars of fire and cloud or great grand miracles. And we get frustrated with that. And we say, well, if that's not happening for us, then God must not be happening at all. What the book of Esther does is it helps remind us that God is not necessarily working in ways that are flamboyant and obvious. Sometimes God is working in ways that are marginalized and, and pushed to the side and subtle. But what I should have noticed, so I, I've spent a lot of time with the book of Esther, and what I, did, what I noticed this time when I went back at it, that I hadn't noticed before, is that what Mordecai is doing here is he's engaging in public protest. He tears his clothes, goes in sackcloth and ashes, wails loudly, and sits at the edge of the king's gate. This is a public demonstration that there is something wrong in the world. And it's interesting because I think that when we frame this in the context of public protest and that happening all over the kingdom, that there was great mourning amongst the Jews, they're all trying to get some attention paid to it. I think it's very interesting how Esther responds because we sometimes respond this way to protests as well. Because when Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of a sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Now this is interesting. So when Esther hears about this public protest, her first instinct is please stop protesting. You're making me uncomfortable with your protesting. I don't like that. Can you stop protesting? And she's not interested at first in hearing what he's protesting about, why he's dressed in sackcloth and ashes. She doesn't even hear that out. Her first instinct is what you are doing is making me uncomfortable, please stop it. But that's the entire point of public protest. Now, I want to frame, I want to take a step back here and say, this is Dan speaking, not the Lord. But what this made me do is examine my own attitudes toward public protest. Because how often have I seen someone protesting something and say, you're making my life inconvenient, please stop. And never gone and actually tried to figure out why they're protesting in the way they're protesting. Why are they making this effort? What is making them so upset? And I'm not saying that every protester is automatically right and should be listened to. But I need to do a better job of having a little bit of grace that if you're doing this much work... To try and tell me something, maybe I should at least try and make some effort to listen to you about the thing that you're trying to tell me, even if I don't agree. But we see this that Esther, so after Esther says, please stop protesting, you're making me uncomfortable, the next thing she says is she summoned Hathach, one of the king's eunuchs assigned to attend to her, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and well. And it's interesting how we do this and what this says about us because what we're doing in this situation is that we, we are being made uncomfortable for another person and we're saying, please stop making me uncomfortable with, with your protest. This is like going up to a person who is grieving and saying, please stop grieving because your sadness is making me sad, right? It's a rude and awful thing to do, but it's interesting that it's only once Esther has been made uncomfortable that she stops and listens. It's only once someone makes her uncomfortable that she begins to, to hear what is going on in another person's world. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told, and this is interesting, remember, this is, and I, 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 I need to emphasize this Mordecai isn't mourning in his own house, he's deliberately making a public act. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and explained it to her. And he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence, to beg for mercy, and to plead with him for her people. This is interesting. So what happens here is that Mordecai demonstrates to her what is wrong, what the problem is, and then asks her to risk her life in order to, to fix this problem. I, I think that that's an interesting thing because this really becomes clear in the next passage. But Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai and said... And then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. Esther at this point is, sa- is reminding Mordecai that what you're asking me to do in this, po- in this moment is to risk my life. I'm comfortable right now, Esther is saying. I haven't had to see the king in 30 days. That's great. If I just keep quiet, if I just mind my own business, then maybe he will ignore me and everything will just go along peachy keen. And I think that when confronted by suffering of others, that's often what we're inclined to do sometimes as well, is to look at someone else's suffering and say, you know what, I'm doing okay and if I step out on a limb to engage in the suffering of these other people, then, then, then I might begin to suffer myself as well. And I don't want to do that. And I understand that. I don't want to do that either. None of us want to do that. But sometimes we are called and invited and demanded to step into someone else's suffering at the risk of our own comfort because that is what we have been called to in order to do, in order to save people, in order to intervene in a, in, in a, in a world that is unjust and unsafe if she intervenes she places her position in jeopardy she places her life in jeopardy but Mordecai when Mordecai responds in this way because when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai he sent back this answer do not think that because you are in the king's house you alone of all the Jews will escape for if you remain silent at this time Relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. So to me, this is the clearest instance of God showing up in this story, and it shows up in the faith of Mordecai. And Mordecai's faith shows up in this sentence. If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance from the Jews will arrive from another place. Mordecai is completely convinced that relief and deliverance will show up. He believes that with every fiber of his being. But he also believes that sometimes people are placed in positions in order to work that out. And as participants in the world that God has created, we are called to step into these. And that's part of this story for Esther. Don't think that you're exempt from this. Don't think that just because you're comfortable now means that, you won't be, means that you'll be comfortable forever. Don't think that because you're fine now means that you'll be fine forever. He says, you are included in our suffering. But he says this, who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. I think this is a fascinating thing that we need to pay attention to and listen to. Because it's easy for us to look at this story and see Esther in the palace and see things are going great for her, but it's not. She's in danger. We've established this from the beginning. And we automatically think if we're in a position that is uncomfortable, if we're in a position that is dangerous, if we're in a position that is unsatisfactory, if our lives are falling apart, if we feel like we're buried, then obviously something is wrong and we've been turned aside from God's favor. And what the book of Esther is saying, no, that's not it at all. Maybe you're buried for such a time as this. Maybe your discomfort, maybe your danger, maybe the situation that you're in has been fabricated by the Lord specifically so that you can intervene where he has called you to intervene. Maybe all of the suffering that you have endured or are enduring is making you very specifically the proper cog to fit into the machine that God is creating in order to move deliverance for the, pe- for the people. And, and, and you are the only person that fits into that, into that spot in the machine. We get so caught up in, want, in, in, in assuming that the favor of God means that we are in a position that is safe and fun for the whole family. That that, that, if, that if everything is going well, that, then, then God is with us. And yet, that's not what the Bible teaches us at all. What the Bible teaches is that God often works His people through very difficult situations in order that they might be the useful people that He has called them to be, in order that they might be able to do what He has called them to do. More often than not, scripturally if everything is going well for you it's because god has said okay have it your way let's see how well this goes for you have your riches have your peace have your safety have your comfort see how well that goes and that leads on its own path to destruction that you do not notice until it is much too late God is not abandoning people when they are suffering. God is with them when they are suffering. And God is sharpening us in our suffering. And God is disciplining us in our suffering. And God is maturing us in our suffering. And maybe for such a time as this, you've come into whatever position that you're in. It changes the way that we look at our circumstances. Because there is not a circumstance that you are in where you have been abandoned by God. And our, ex- our perspectives are so small that we diminish what God can do and is doing. Whatever experience that you', whatever circumstances you happen to be experiencing, maybe they're a good thing, maybe they're a bad thing. We don't know, but maybe you are being placed for such a time as this. And it's interesting, because I hear specifically from young people, but also also older people as well, how do I hear the word of the Lord? How do I discern what God is calling me to? I think that's a very important question. I think that Esther actually gives us a lot of guidance in how to answer that question. Because I hear a lot of people that get stuck because there's because they're saying what does God want me to do? And there's not a clear sense of what God wants them to do, so they don't do anything, right? They're, they're, they don't they don't that, that, that because there's not a burning bush, or there's not a, a pillar of cloud, because they don't feel a, a concrete vision, then, then they feel stuck and paralyzed. And that's okay, I get that. I don't think that that makes you a bad person. But we can see how Esther responds. So Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa, and fast for me. Do not drink for three days, night or day, I and my attendants will fast as you do, and when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and called, uh, and and carried out all of Esther's instructions. It's interesting. Esther discerns the will of the Lord by heading towards the thing of which she is most afraid. Esther discerns the will of the Lord by finding by, by by seeing a need a need that she is in a position to meet and because she is in a position to meet that need she discerns that this is the will of the lord for me there's something that needs to be done i can do it i'm going to go do it it's going to be dangerous it's going to be frightening it's going to be scary if i perish i perish i'm going to do the right thing and there's a strength that happens once you've reached that place. Because Esther's certainty does not come because God gives her a burning bush. Esther's certainty does not come because she has someone give a prophecy over her. Esther's, Esther's certainty does not come because, because there's any sort of supernatural intervention in her life. Esther's certainty comes because there's a need that she sees, a need that she is in a position to meet, and she says, I'm going to do this, and no matter what happens, it's okay. Just as Mordecai says, if you step back from this, deliverance for the Jews will come from another place. But this is a need that you see, a need that you're in a position to meet. Maybe you should step into this. And I wonder how often we've asked God to discern and give us clues about what we're supposed to be doing and how we're supposed to be following him. And we're asking for this clear picture and, what he's, and rather than, than, than a clear command, what he's given us is a need that we see, a need that we're in a position to meet, and because it's scary we don't go toward it. Or sometimes the best way to discern what the, the will of the Lord is to go towards that thing of which you are most afraid in meeting the needs of those who are around you. Sometimes that is dangerous. Sometimes that places you in a position where your life might be taken or your comfort might be taken or something will be taken from you. But God is with you even in that position. So the challenge for us as we stop in this very uncomfortable part of the story, because this is a bad place to stop a story. What you're, 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 this is like this is like you know, in the old old uh, the old television shows when they had two part things and they had like a to be continued on the screen. You like, ah! you know, I have to wait a whole other week to see that young kids will never understand that. You know, you have to wait like eleven seconds on Netflix and thirty two seconds on Amazon Prime for the next episode. We had to wait a full seven days, sometimes months if they had like ended the season on a cliffhanger. We're ending this on a cliffhanger right now, and you're going to have two weeks to sit with this, because JB's preaching next week because I'm not going to be here. You're going to have two weeks to sit here with, if I perish, I perish. You're going to have two weeks to sit with, if you don't step up at this time, deliverance may arise from another place. We're going to have two weeks to sit in this uncertainty, but I have a hunch but for most of you this uncertainty is going to be a lot more familiar than you think and we can get comfortable here and we can feel safe here because God is with us even here one of the lines one of the so one of the the mo, uh, there's a, you all know Psalm 23 and that's a a psalm of assurance and it's beautiful but 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 it had gotten so familiar to me that that I almost didn't pay attention to the words that were there because I didn't, it, I just heard it so many times that, but there's a line in that psalm that says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies, which is awful, isn't it? That you're surrounded by your enemies. You're surrounded by people who are attacking you. You're surrounded by danger. You're surrounded by uncertainty. And God says, okay, it's time to eat, right? And every instinct that you have as a human being at that moment is like, no, 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 this isn't eating time. This is running time. This is fighting time. This is not, but God says, no, 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 it's picnic time. In the ta- but I'm surrounded by my enemies. Yeah, 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 I got it, but I have the table set. We should eat now. And what God is calling us to do is to be as comfortable in that moment in the presence of our enemies as we are in fields of green pastures. The circumstances for God are not different if we're in the presence of our enemies or if we're in fields of green pastures because he is there. So can we trust in the same way? Can we trust in the same way with I Perish, I Perish when we're stepping into those needs that we see, those needs that we are in a position to meet, and those needs that are calling us out of the places where we feel safe and comfortable and into the places where God is, is using us and has engineered our entire lives to be ready for. Let's pray together. God, it is difficult often to feel confident in your presence. It is difficult often to trust that you are there. It's difficult often to believe that you have engineered the circumstances of our lives to make us the people who you are calling us to be. But we ask that you would help us to believe that. Help us to believe that that. We have been planted for such a time as this. Help us to believe that you are working for such a time as this. Help us to trust that we are capable, even if we perish, of stepping into those needs that we see, those needs that we are in a position to meet. And help us to, help us to, to, to not feel stuck or stagnant or alone, but help us to step into the truth and the, and the, and the, the joy and the work to which you have called us, Because we know that that is where we are going to find our joy and our peace and our comfort now and for eternity. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. And this idea of if I perish, I perish, or being in a place for such a time as this, is nowhere more apparent than at the table of the Lord. We're in the night... He, uh, the night before his death, he sat in Gethsemane praying, Lord, if you would take this cup from me, but nevertheless not your my will but yours be done. And in that moment he went to the cross, scorning its shame for the joy that was set before him, the joy that was set before him being you, all y'all, all of us for that he went to the cross and that is what we remember so i would ask you at this point as we spend some time in silent prayer to think about those things that you're the, the to think about that situation where you're praying to god not will my will but yours be done and that you would feel his presence and comfort in that moment understanding that sometimes what he calls us to is nothing less, that anything that he calls us to is nothing less than what he has taken on himself. Let's take some moments in silent prayer together. Jesus was betrayed. He took bread and he broke it and said, This is my body broken for you. Take and eat. And in the same way he took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink all of it. I would invite you to come forward and get and receive the elements of communion, return to your seat, we'll partake together. If you would prefer to remain seated, within then one of our elders will bring the elements of the Lord's death. This next one may be new for a lot of you. It's actually written in twenty eighteen, so it's it's really, really new. But um
1: We yeah, first, and first.